0: God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today. Thank you so much for coming. And We realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the people there. So we bring that service to you wherever you are, anywhere in Israel, anywhere in the world. And we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and his promises for your life. Would you open in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11? We're going to finish that up this week, and that's where we're going to be today, and we'll also put those verses for you up here in the video, as you know, just to make it easier for you to follow along. Like I said, we're continuing in our beginning series in the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, HaSefer Bereshit. And today, I'd like to talk to you about the beginning of the Jewish people. That's right. We're going to be talking about the Bible's introduction to the man named Abraham, Abraham of Abraham our father, the father of our faith. He's the father of the Jewish people. Now today, my people, the Jewish people, hear a lot about the biblical man named Abraham. They consider themselves descendants of Abraham, and he's also the father of the Jewish people. He also is considered to be the father of the Christian faith as well. I don't know if you knew that, my Jewish brother and sister, but that's exactly the truth. And, of course, the Jewish rabbis and the Christian scholars both acknowledge that the Tanakh, or what you would say in English as the Old Testament, is the Word of God. They both agree on that, and their two Bibles are the same. The Christians add, Habrila or the New Testament, just like it was spoken of in Yeremia Navi, the Perik Shloshim V'echad, in chapter 31 of the book of Jeremiah, in verse 30 or 31, I believe it is, it speaks about how God is saying to Jeremiah, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will give them a new covenant, not like the covenant that I gave to their fathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Mizraim, or the land of Egypt. But God says this covenant will be new. In fact, He called it Brit Chadeshah. So there you go. Right there in a prophet, Jeremiah the prophet, in the Tanakh, in the Jewish Tanakh, the Christian Old Testament, it's right there God Himself says there's going to be a new covenant. And so that's the one that the Christians add on to the Tanakh. But of course the Christians also believing in the same God that the Jewish people believe in, Elohim, Adonai, Hashem, Avenu, Bishamayim, our Father in heaven, we believe in Him, just like my Jewish brothers and sisters believe as well. We just don't know that we're brothers and sisters yet in a lot of situations, and a lot of people don't realize it, but yet more and more Jewish scholars are now coming to agree that Christians seem to be honorary Jewish brothers, because we both believe in the same God. I was invited one time in Israel. While I was there, I was invited to speak in the synagogue of the chief rabbi of modern Orthodox Judaism. And during that time when we were there, Rabbi Shlomo Riskin, who is the head of modern Orthodox Judaism, the chief rabbi, He got up there and he said something before he introduced us. And basically he said, he said, I gotta tell you guys something. The Bible and the Tanakh says that we're to be a light unto the Gentiles and a light to all the nations. And he said, I gotta tell you, we haven't done a good job of that. But you Christians have taken our Bible, the Tanakh, and you've you've brought our God to all the world, and it is true, it's the same God, it's the same God, and now we can work together hand in hand to bring that same God and His Mashiach, His Messiah, the one that He wanted to reach all the world with, we can bring them to the Jewish people, and beyond that, to all the world. So together, my brothers and sisters, Yehudim Shili, the Jewish people, my Jewish people, together let's bring that light of God to the world and speak about the light of the world, which Yeshua HaMashiach, the most famous Jew who ever lived, was the man who whose life split time itself into two parts, the man who affected civilization on this earth more than any man who ever lived, the most famous Jewish man who ever lived, Yeshua HaMashiach, Why can't he be a candidate for Messiah? Well, of course he can. He's the most famous Jew ever. And they can't find his body. And he rose from the dead and the miracles he did. And he himself has changed the life on this planet more than any other person who ever lived. And he's the most famous Jew who ever lived. So you consider that. Now, both groups consider this Bible, Christians and Jews consider this Bible and what it says about Abraham to be true. And certainly it is true. That's why it's important for us to look at what the Bible says about Abraham. It tells us where he's from, what he was like, what was special about him, and yes, what was not so special about him. That's right. Abraham was just a man. He had his own problems just like you and I have our own problems and, and there were a lot of things that he did right and in these he was a good example for us to follow. But there were always a few times as well that uh, he did the wrong things and made wrong decisions followed his own feelings, his own fears, instead of doing what God wanted him to do. We're going to be talking about some of those next week. In fact, when he was uh, telling the people in Egypt that his wife was his sister so that he could save his life, and he almost got her married off to somebody else because of that sin, and God himself rebuked Abraham through a pagan king as well. So all of these things, and Abraham wasn't perfect. We sometimes think about these patriarchs of the Tanakh, of the Torah, like their, you know, their their hair is just gently blowing in the breeze. They don't really walk on the dirt on the ground. No, they float about six inches above the ground, and they're just kind of like going like that, you know, glowing as they go and everything. That's the way people think of them, you know. Actually, that's not true. The Bible shows God using ordinary people with ordinary problems. And that's great news. Because if He can use them with all their problems, it means He can use you and I too. Abraham wasn't perfect, just like you and I aren't perfect. And that's great news, isn't it? Because it shows that God can use us too. every day, ordinary people. People with faults. People with problems people who always don't make the right decisions. You see, in the end, it's not about our righteousness. That's the message of Abraham's life. That's the message about the whole Bible, really. It's not about our righteousness and our futile works to try to be perfect, because that's God's standard, perfection. He's perfect. Heaven is perfect. You're not getting in there unless you're perfect in righteousness. It's not a democracy. 51% is not going to get you in there. God's promised He will judge sin, and He's promised the wages for sin is death. But He's made the atonement. Ha-kippur, He's made the atonement for you so that through the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Yeshua HaMashiach, His Son, the Lord, through His blood, we can be clean and truly righteous. And when God, just like He said in Ha-sefer Shemot V'Perek In chapter 12 of the book of Exodus, when he described Passover, he said, When I see the blood, on the doorpost of your house, I will pass over that house in judgment. That's still true. God still does that. When he sees the blood of the blemish-free Lamb of God on the doorposts of our heart, he passes over us in judgment. It's right there in your Jewish culture. Every year at Pesach, You celebrate it. You tell the story. You tell the story to your kids. You tell the story to everybody. You relive it there at that center. And you know those verses. Let the scales fall from your eyes. Open your eyes and see. Be healed. Let the Lord give you vision to see the truth of His Word. That it was not just for then... But it's for today as well. And this is the story that Pesach was telling about how you can be saved from judgment when he sees the blood of his blemish-free Lamb of God, the Son of God, Yeshua HaMashiach. Thank God for him. We all fall short of God's standards each and every day. In other words, we could all use a lot of mercy. Amen. It's so true. Well, today we're continuing in chapter 11 of the book of Genesis. Last time we made it up to verse 9. And you say, well, that's not very far to go from 1 to 9. That wasn't very far at all. Well, you fasten your seatbelts because we're going to be going quite fast today. And those of you who have seen me drive know that I'm not shy about speeding. Who said that? That wasn't me, was it? Mm. There's no policemen around, are they? Ah. You know, I just grew up building race car engines and racing and everything, and I think I never really outgrew that. I hope I get better. I think I'm better. I don't speed nearly as much as I used to. I better be quiet. Either that or edit this video. Anyway, chapter 11 in the book of Genesis, verse 10, as we continue and go quickly through the end of this chapter and into the next few verses of the next chapter. It says in verse 10, this is the genealogy of Shem. You remember Shem, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. No, not the three stooges, the three sons of Noah. They came on the ark with Noah, Noah and his wife, and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives. This is the genealogy. This is the family tree of Shem. That's what verse 10 is saying. It says, Shem was 100 years old, and he begot. In other words, he had a child. His wife had a child named Arphaxad two years after the flood. And after he begot Afaxad, after he was the father of Afaxad, Shem lived 500 years and he begot sons and daughters. foxod lived 35 years, it says in verse 12, and begot Salah. And after he begot Salah, Afaxad lived 403 years and begot sons and daughters. And then Salah, it says in verse 14, Salah lived 30 years and begot Eber, And after he begot Eber, Salah lived 403 years. And he begot sons and daughters. Now notice it doesn't give you the names of all the sons and daughters. That's because God is specifically concerned with getting very quickly through this genealogy to the person Abraham who we're going to be studying for a long time these next few weeks. Verse 16. Eber lived 34 years and begot Peleg. And after he begot Peleg, Eber lived 430 years and begot sons and daughters. Peleg lived 30 years and begot Reu. And after he begot Reu, Peleg lived 209 years and begot sons and daughters. More of the sons and daughters that aren't named here because they're not in the genealogy or the family tree of Abraham, you see. Verse 20, Riu lived 32 years and begot Serug. And after he begot Serug, Riu lived 207 years and begot sons and daughters. And Serug lived 30 years and begot Nahor. And after he begot Nahor, Serug lived 200 years and begot sons and daughters. Nahor lived 29 years and begot Terah. And after he begot Terah, Nahor lived 119 years and begot sons and daughters. Now Terah lived 70 years, it says in verse 26, and begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now in verse 27 then, it gets into the genealogy of Terah, who was the father of Abraham, you see. It says, this is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram course. That was Abraham's name before God changed it to Abraham. It was Abram. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, his brother, and Haran, his brother. Haran begot Lot, and Haran died before his father, Terah, in his native land, in Ur of the Chaldeans. That's where they lived. That's where they were. Verse 29, then, then Abram and Nahor took wives and the name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcha, and the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcha, and the father of Iskhar. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. Then verse 31 says, as we wrap up this chapter, And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, who had died, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, and his son, Abram's wife. And they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there in that land, in that place. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. In other words, he didn't make it to Canaan now we're going to focus on the very next chapter go right away to chapter 12 and we're going to look at verse 1 in the beginning of chapter 12 and it tells us a lot about uh, what what is going on here it says there now the Lord had said to Abram in chapter 12 verse 1 get out of your country leave your family Get out of your father's house and go to a land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. You've heard this verse before. And I will bless those who bless you. Speaking of Abraham and his descendants, Yisrael, the Jewish people. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse 4 then, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan, and Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terrimanth tree of Moreh. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Verse seven, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. There you go. That's the deed for the land given by God himself to the Jewish people. The Lord appeared to Abram, it says in verse 7, and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he, that is Abram, built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Beit El. Now your Bible may say Bethel. Learn to pronounce that as Beit El. It means the place of God. Beit is place. A bait cafe is a coffee shop. Habit Shocha is the place where I live in Israel. Beit El is the place of God. El is just a shortened way of saying Elohim. And it says in verse 8, He moved from there to the mountain east of Beit El. And he pitched his tent with Beit El on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abraham journeyed on still going toward the south. Now, I want to talk to you about this just really quickly. Let's talk about the name Abram, because most people today know him as Abraham. I want to tell you something, and remember what I'm about to tell you. In Hebrew, the word for father is not Abba. I know you Christians, many of you think that it's, oh, that's Abba, that's father. That's not right. Abba is daddy. It's a more personal thing that a child says to their father because he's their daddy. He's the one who loves them and cares for them. But sometimes if you've done something wrong and you're, you're speaking respectfully to your father and you don't know how he's going to respond to what you've done wrong, then you would call him Av. Av is father. Abba. Oh, why, do you, why do you go from Av with a V to Abba with a B? I mentioned before that the letter B in Hebrew, in the Hebrew alphabet, if it has just a tiny little dot in it, it's a B sound or a B. But if it doesn't have that tiny little dot in the middle of it, it becomes a soft B sound or a V sound. So Av doesn't have that dot in that B letter in Av. But Abraham does have that dot in the middle of it. It's the same letter in the Jewish alphabet. It's just got that little dot to make that hard sound of B. And without that dot, it's V as a V sound. So when we call him Abraham and Abram, we're basically saying the Jewish pronunciation of it. Okay, but when you see Abram, Abram, the word that you see before you in these verses called Abram, it really means of And Ram means loud or exalted or lifted up. And Av is father. So Abram means exalted father. <laughs> the funny thing is, well, it probably wasn't so funny to him. Harry was going as an adult through life. And everybody who would meet him, they say, well, what is your name? And he goes, Abram. And he goes, oh, well, where's your children then, if you're the exalted father? And he goes, well, I don't have any. My wife is bare. And so it was a sign of embarrassment to him to be called Abram. But later, when God changes his name, he no longer is Abram, but he is Abraham which is father of a multitude instead of exalted father. Not only is he a father finally, in fact, he's a father of nations. He's a father of a multitude. Now, I want to talk to you about the obedience that Abraham had when he took his family. We saw that in the end of chapter 11, we saw that Abraham went with his brother Haran, and Haran's son, that would have been the nephew of Abram, and he went with his father Terah, and he went to Haran. But God had called him, we read now in the first part of chapter 12, and don't think that that happened, that didn't happen after chapter 11. He's going back and revisiting what had happened, and he's saying now, now God had called him. He didn't say then God called him. He's not saying God called him after chapter 11. He's saying God had earlier called him to leave Ur of the Chaldeans and go to the land that God would show him, the land of Canaan. Then you go back to chapter 11, and you see Terah, his father, Haran, his brother, Well, actually, Haran had died in Ur of the Chaldeans. And then Abram took his son, Haran's son, Lot, his nephew. He took him with him. So he had Abram's father, Terah. He had his nephew, Lot, whose father had died back in Ur of the Chaldeans. And then he had his wife, Sarai, or Sarah. That's going to be her name later. So he had them. But God told him, as we see in the first part of chapter 12... Get out of this land, Ur of the Chaldeans, and leave your family and come to a land that I will show you. Did you get that? Leave your family. So he got out of the land, he left Ur of the Chaldeans, but he really didn't leave his family, did he? He took his father with him, he took Lot with him. Later on, Lot was going to be a big problem. Long about Genesis chapter 15, I believe it is, Abram's going to have to go and rescue Lot because he's been kidnapped. He and his family and everything have been kidnapped by these evil kings that invaded this land of Canaan there in the area of Sodom and Gomorrah. So Abram has to risk everything, take 318 of the people that worked with him and join themselves to Abram's camp, and he's going to have to take them and do battle with these five kings that had taken Lot, his nephew, captive. Well, God gave him the victory, but still, that was a problem, wasn't it? He didn't really obey God because he did not leave his family. He took Lot with him, and he took his father, Terah, with him. Now, we don't know what happened, really, but Terah got as far as Haran. It wasn't very far away from Ur of the Chaldeans on the way to Canaan. Apparently, he couldn't go any further became sick, they stayed there for a while. I'm sure he was sick for a while. But then the father died in Haran. The father died in Haran, and then Abram remembered his calling, that God had told him to leave Ur of the Chaldeans and go to the land of Canaan. I think he felt bad. I think he felt like Well, my father was kind of slowing us down. He was an older guy and everything. Oh, I know what that's like. You do go slower when you get older. But anyway, Terah, Abram's father, became sick and died in Haran. Interesting thing is, is the name of Terah, as you know, Hebrew names mean things. Terah, Abram's father's name, actually means delay. Terah means delay. And the place where he died and they stayed for such a long time, Haran, that means barren. You're staying in a desolate, barren place. You're delayed in a place that is not fruitful. You're delayed in a desolate, in a barren place. So it was kind of interesting that the name of the father actually meant delay. And the name of the city where they waited and stayed and And finally, his father died in that city, was called barren or desolate, if you will. So we talked about how Abraham at least did half of what God told him to do. He left Ur of the Chaldeans, but he didn't leave his family there. He took his family with him. So that was only a half obedience that he was obedient to God with God knew what was best for Abram when he told him to leave his family, and he didn't want him to go through those delays and the desolation of Iran. He knew it would be difficult for Abram. He knew it would be difficult for his older father. But finally, when Abram's father, Terah, passed away, and Abram knew he had to resume the journey. God had called him to it after all. He had to resume it. Now, you talk about him, and at least he did have the faith to go forth when God had called him. And he didn't even know what the place was like that he was going to go to. In fact, God said, I'll come to a place that I will show you. and Never mind, I'm not going to describe it to you now. I'll just show you when you get there. To his credit, Abram went forth when God told him to, not even knowing what would happen. Not even knowing how things would work out not even knowing what he would eat, not even knowing who his friends would be, not even knowing what kind of dangers were there along the way or in the land of Canaan. He didn't know any of that. I've seen so many people who felt like they were called to missions work, And I've seen hundreds of these people and I've spoken to about a thousand plus people who felt like they were called or involved in missions in one way or another. And it's interesting to hear so many of them say, well, I'm just waiting for God to show me how it's all going to work. I'm just waiting for God to show me who my friends are going to be. I'm just waiting for God to show me how I'm going to have transportation. I'm just waiting for God to show me how I'm going to have enough money to live there. I'm just waiting for God to bring me a husband or bring me a wife to go with me. Oh, yeah, I've had, I've had people say that. I've had people say, oh, I know I'm called to Israel and we're coming to work with you. I'm coming to work with you. And, and, and then six months later, I still haven't heard from this lady. And finally she writes and says, well, I decided to wait for a husband so we could go together. God didn't call your husband, who doesn't even exist right now. God called you. What are you going to do about the calling of God? You see, you don't need to know the answers. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Faith is the evidence of things not seen. The evidence of things hoped for, right? If it's the evidence of things not seen, and you're demanding to see the answers before you go on your journey of faith, maybe you shouldn't call it a journey of faith because you have to have all the answers and know what's going to happen and what's going on before you even go. That's not faith. That's not hard at all. Faith is something that you have in things that you can't see. I know there's people out there saying that, oh, I I don't believe in faith. I believe in just analyzing everything. And come on, I'm an engineer. I'm a scientist. I know what you're saying. But faith... Is what you were created for. And don't give me that, that you don't use faith. You use faith all the time. You buy tickets to a sporting event. You don't know if they're worthless or, or if you're going to get in or not. You, you have faith that you're going to get in. The tickets are real and, and that they haven't been printed up by some person that counterfeited the tickets and scalping the prices and all like that, as they say. You have that faith when you get on an airplane you have faith that the mechanical parts of the plane the the electronics and the pilots know what they're doing you have faith that that plane is going to make it to where you're going right you wouldn't get on the plane if it didn't i remember the comedian jerry Seinfeld one day said said this little thing he was talking to his audience and he says you know i used to be so worried about flying Every time I got on a plane, I would just think about, well, what happens if the plane goes down? I'll die. You know, I'm afraid to fly. I'm afraid to fly. And I'm up there at 30 something thousand feet in the air and nothing is underneath me. What's holding me up? He said, I was just terrified all the time, but I had to fly all the time. So I didn't know what to do. Finally, I just got so sick of worrying that I said to myself, you know, that's it. If it's my time to go, it's my time to go, and if it's not, it's not. And then he walked away smiling. And then he looked back at the audience. He said, uh, "But what if it's the pilot's time to go?" You can't worry about things. You live by faith in so many areas of your life, don't you? You get out in that car, and you have faith that it's not going to break down before you get to where you're going. You get on that Cherut in Tel Aviv, you get on that bus to go to Yerushalayim and you have faith that you're going to get there. But I've seen those people off to the side of the road and sometimes it breaks down and they got to wait for a few hours for another bus to come and get them because the first one broke down. And then if you're in an airplane, you just don't pull over to the side of the road, you know, it's a little more serious. But you have faith in all these things. Here's what I'm saying. Faith is a normal part of your life. Why not have faith in the One who spoke all things into existence, who made the heavens and the earth two trillion galaxies, each containing hundreds of billions of stars, each star roughly one million times bigger than the size of the earth we live on? Why not have faith in that One, in the One who made all of those things? You trust your own wisdom. You trust your own strength. You're going to get older. And even now, there's times when you don't have enough strength. When you get older, you're not even going to have the strength you used to have. Wisdom, you don't know the future. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow that could derail your plans that you're making today. Why not entrust your life to the one who knows tomorrow, to the only one who knows the future? Why not entrust your life to the one who gave his life for you to show you how much he loves you? Why not have faith in him? Now remember that as you go through life to take time and thank God for seeing him, for seeing you through another day. That's what Abram did. When he got to these two places, you read it in the verses up there, the first time he stopped and made an altar to the Lord. What was he doing? He was making a time of remembrance. He was making a memorial to the Lord for seeing him safely through to the land of Canaan. And then not long after that, a verse or two later, it says, And he got to another place, and he made another altar to the Lord. Do you take time to consider what God's done in your life? What He's done for you? To consider how He's protected you against things that you never even saw as a danger. Maybe you were walking across the street looking at your phone, and a car was going to hit you because they were looking at their phone when they were driving. And God somehow had one of His angels just change that driver's mind to where he had to slow down. He didn't even know why he did it. That was God looking out for you. Why not take the time to return and consider? Take the time to remember. Take the time to be grateful, be thankful for what God has done for you. How He's protected you. How He's provided for you. The prayers that He's answered That you prayed about and the ones that you wanted but he didn't give you that answer because he had something better for you and now when you look back at what he did you're very happy i remember praying for this one lady that she would be my wife but she dumped me and you know what i married her best friend and we've been married 45 years now and i got the best woman in all of the world god knew what he was doing I didn't know what to ask for, but God knew what I needed. God knew what would be best for me. Take the time to return. Make a little altar of memory to God and His faithfulness. You see, that's how God designed you to live. Independence. And dependence on him alone. You weren't created to live dependent on others or dependent on your own strength or your own wisdom. No, you were created to be a child of God. A little tiny child of God reaching up and holding Abba's hand. God most high is your father and you are a child of God most high to be cared for and protected by him. You were created to be a child of God. Now, Abraham is called the father of our faith. He's not called the father of wisdom. He's not called the father of strength. There's other people in the Bible that were famous for different things. King David was famous as a general. Other people, Samson was famous for his strength. Solomon was famous for his wisdom. Not all of us can be generals and be the wisest person on earth who ever lived. Not all of us can be as strong as Samson, but we can all be children of Abraham and have the faith that Abraham had. And we're going to find out later in Genesis 15, verse 6, the reason why God considered Abraham his friend. The reason why God considered Abraham to be a righteous man. Oh, you think it was because he did all of these works? Because he, was gonna, he, was, he knew what the Torah was going to say when God gave it and everything. He did all these righteous works. You know what? The rabbis will tell you that back when he was in Ur of the Chaldeans, we know that the people in Ur of the Chaldeans before he left there to go to Canaan, we know that they were idol worshipers. In fact, when Abraham had his servant go and find a, a bride for his, for his son, Isaac, and when Isaac had Jacob leave there to go and find a wife for himself, he sent them to Abraham's relatives there in that area, Nahor, Milcha, the ones that we read about. And guess what? They were idol worshipers. You say, well, I don't believe that. The Abraham's family, they weren't idol worshipers. Oh, really? Remember Jacob coming back and he's got Leah and he's got Rachel Rachel with him. And Laban, who was, who was their father, came back and he said, they stole my idols. And it turned out to be Rachel who had stole one of his idols. Yeah, they worshiped idols. And so some of the rabbis see that and they go, well, yeah, but we think of Abram as a righteous person, so he didn't worship those idols. Oh, come on. He was right there in Ur of the Chaldeans with him. You can bet everything that he did worship those idols at one time or another. But the living and true God called him, forgave him all of that, and he became a follower of the true and living God, the creator and maker of all things. Like I said... He was an ordinary person with ordinary sins and ordinary problems, just like you and I. But God created you to be his child. And when you answer God, he will change your life. Amen? Now next week, we really ramp up the speed. and We're going to be talking about Abraham and what God starts to do with him. Interesting thing is, the book of Genesis, you want, I want you to know this, the book of Genesis covers about 2,000 years of history. Book of Genesis, 2,000 years of history. And yet one-third of the book of Genesis has to do with the life of this man named Abraham. That's how important Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, is. 2,000 years covered, and yet one-third of the book of Genesis is devoted to the covering of the, of the man Abraham and his family and his lineage because his lineage is eventually going to lead to the Mashiach, the Messiah, whom God would send to save the world from its sins. Did you hear what I said? He would send the Messiah to save the world from their sins. And remember the wages of sin, the punishment of sin is death. But the gift of God and his Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, is everlasting life and forgiveness of your sins. So it's very, very important to know him. Very important to know the Son of God, the Mashiach. Yeshua HaMashiach, Adonai, the Lord. And that's what we're going to be studying next week. Don't you miss it. This is very important stuff now. We're right in the middle of this important man. And his life the life of Abram why don't you give your life to God today like Abram did right now if you call out to God he will hear you cry and he'll answer you he'll rescue you from that darkness you're in he'll shine his light on your heart and you'll be given newness of life a new chance he'll change you into a new person Throw all those past failures away. You'll be made completely new, given a new start, and He'll give you everlasting life in heaven. And that's guaranteed by God Himself. I want to give you a chance today to know and believe on Jesus as the Messiah and Lord and to receive God's peace in your life. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment just pray something like this you can repeat after me if you'd like just pray God I do want to know you and have real peace in life I believe in your son Jesus Christ as Lord please forgive all my sins I give my life to you thank you Lord amen if you prayed that prayer God heard you And He's already started working in your life. You may not realize it yet, but a little seed's been planted deep down in your heart. Over time, you're going to begin to see wonderful changes that God's making in your life, in your heart. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about Him and His Word every day. Talk to Him every day in prayer. He's going to do beautiful things in your life.